Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. For those I have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is John, a pastor here at the Village. I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'll be hanging out towards the door back there. I'd love to say hello to you. Thank you for joining us today. For those I know, it's good to be with you again. Um, I want to, before we approach the Word of God, I want to make sure that everyone in the room, whether I know you or not, I want to make sure of this. I love you, and I'm sorry. Now I'll preach God's Word. I'm not, I'm not sorry. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, as I've worked through preparing this week, it's, uh, it's, this is a topic forgiveness that we, um, we need to learn biblically. So um, if you have a Bible with you, you can find your way to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be there for a few minutes, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning again. Uh, but we started a short series last week on forgiveness, confession, and repentance. And this is week two dealing with forgiveness. Last week, we dealt with forgiveness from, uh-oh, maybe I should do that one again. Forgiveness from, we need forgiveness from who? Good, good. People are paying attention. Why? Why do we need forgiveness from God? Everybody should have had their Wheaties this morning. What do we need forgiveness for? We're sinners. Just making sure you're paying attention. This is my pulse check. Are you actually listening to God's word when it's open? We need God's forgiveness because we are sinners. We have original sin, which is man's problem, period. And there is ongoing sin, that which besets the believer. As you are finding your way to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the setup for this series, the the theme I want to keep in front of us, all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is an ark displaying God's glory in the redemption of fallen man and the redemption of a fallen world. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is displaying God's glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the redemption of fallen man and the redemption of a fallen world. From the fall of man in the Garden of Eden to the end of time, every single human being ever has been inflicted by, affected by, and plagued with sin. All of us. So all of us in the room, whether we have been Christians for a long time or whether perhaps we're even not a Christian today, we're all in one bucket. We all face sin. We all struggle with sin. It is a problem for us. We're talking about forgiveness, confession, and repentance. Remember that I shared last week, these are all linked, but they are not all the same thing. And so we are dealing first with forgiveness. Last week, forgiveness from God. This week, forgiveness for and from man. Next week, we'll deal with confession, and we'll see if it's confession and repentance or just confession. We'll see what happens. But we are dealing with forgiveness for and from man. Last week, examining our need for forgiveness from God for original sin. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, all of mankind was affected by it. And so all of mankind is bound under the wage and the guilt of sin because of original sin. Man is set free from the bond of original sin through faith in Christ, through repentance, through confession of sin, through belief in Christ's sacrifice for us, man is set free from that original bond. And then we struggle 
through ongoing sin. It never leaves us. I think one of the greatest struggles throughout all of church history, I pray that it's never a struggle here, but I'm not so naive to think that it won't be. I think one of the greatest struggles that Christians have faced for far too long has been that we forget that when we were set free from original sin, we were not perfected. We're being perfected. We're still sinners. I am a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy. You, through faith in Jesus Christ, are still sinners in need of grace and mercy at the foot of the cross of Christ. The difference is, there is man who has not been set free from original sin through forgiveness from God and faith in Jesus Christ. And there is man who has been set free from original sin through faith in Jesus Christ, but is still beset with weakness. It surrounds us. It hems us in. Wherever we go, Paul says, I find this to be law, that when I want to do good, evil is there with me. <clears throat> this week we're dealing with forgiveness for and from man. There's a great distinction in the two titles between last week and this week. Last week just said forgiveness from God. Because God has never sinned that he would need to be forgiven. God does not sin. He does not tempt you to sin. God does not have fellowship with sin. There is no need for us to forgive God of anything. But we do need to forgive man, as we're going to look at today. We dealt with a couple of definitions. Forgiveness, a working definition of forgiveness, because it's not something that is relevant. There is a definition. We don't get to make it up. I'll forgive for this. I'll forgive for this. Forgiveness, a good definition, being set free or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. Being set free or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. Forgiveness. We also dealt last week with a brief definition of sin. I gave a, a longer answer, but a brief, simple, working definition. Sin is any violation of God's law. Simply stated, sin is any violation of God's law. I added this one because I think it is really important because there are good people in the world, right? I trust that many of you are, are good people. I, I don't know the ins and outs of your daily life, but I trust that you're good. I like to trust that humanity as a whole is basically morally good. If we weren't, we would probably all run around killing one another, or being adulterers, or giving in to the sin of our heart that we love. But we don't, because there's a sense of good that comes from the creator whose image we are made in. It's intrinsic to us. We are not good. We need redemption through the cross of Christ. But there is a sense of, I'm not just going to punch you when you walk up and say hello to me, because I have a sense of being good. But being good does not save the soul. So we had to deal with a definition of sin. Sin, any violation of God's law. And as we've been studying on Wednesday night, looking at the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, the Bible says you shall not murder. Well, none of us have ever done that. But it also says, don't look at someone and say, you fool. Don't commit murder in your heart. Don't hate or hurt other people. So we look at the letter of the law, don't murder, I'm not a murderer, but have you ever hurt or hated someone because you have violated God's law? Violation of God's law, or this, for those who just feel that you are simply good. 
do you live with reference to God at all? What is sin? Sin is ignoring God, rejecting him in the world he created, living in rebellion to him, living without reference to him, ignoring or rejecting, not being or doing what he requires in his law, leading to our ultimate destruction and the disintegration of creation. Sin's a bad thing. This week, forgiveness for and from man. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read these few verses, and then there's one that's going to really set up today's message. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say this, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, comma, pause. The book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. These words are being spoken to, written to Christians. If you are in the room today and you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are not saved through faith by the grace of God according to his mercy, living a life of repentance toward God, these words have not been written to you. If you are here today living your life with repentance toward God and faith in Christ, these words are written to you. I say this and testify in the Lord that you, Christians, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is always a word in the New Testament meaning non-Christians. You, Christians, must no longer walk as the unchristians, non-Christians, unsaved as the Gentiles do. Look what it says, in the futility of their minds. Here is the condition of fallen man. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former unsaved, unredeemed, fallen manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Man, one of these days, I think God will release me to preach through all of the book of Ephesians, and I can't wait to do it. Today, we're just going to look at this little passage here, 17 through 24, that illustrates you are saved, you are different. If you are not different, you may not be saved, you are still Gentiles. There is a difference between the saved and the unsaved. Then he goes down and he starts to highlight aspects of the new life. Verse 32 for us today. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask... God, that by the power of your spirit and according to the truth of your word, that you would instruct us today. Father, I pray that you would turn our minds off to the faulty and perverted pattern of the world in the area of forgiveness. And I pray, God, that through the renewing of our minds according to your word by the power of your spirit, 
you would tune us to a true biblical doctrine of forgiveness for and from mankind. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for so many in the room today who have experienced forgiveness from you. I pray, God, that if there are those in the room who do not know you, that today they would be set free, that you would save them through the preaching of your word and the worship of your people, worshiping your name. God, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we need forgiveness for and from man because we are sinners, every single one of us. Set free, if you want to find your way to Mark, the 12th chapter, Mark chapter 12. Set free from the bond of original sin, we are hemmed in by besetting sin, and we need forgiveness for and from man because we sin against each other. Husbands sin against wives, parents sin against children, children sin against parents, brother sins against brother, sister against sister, friend against friend, employee to employer, employer to employee, politicians to the populace, we sin, every one of us. And we must learn how to deal in forgiveness for and from mankind. Sin is always against God. Someone needs to write that down because you think that you can sin and have it not be an offense to God, but you can't. Sin is always an offense to God. And sometimes that sin against God is sin against man. Sin is always against God, and sometimes sin is against God because it is also against man. Mark chapter 12, the 28th verse and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus, verse 29, answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, going on just for fun, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. Jesus says the first commandment is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he says the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two commandments. In the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments, which maybe you're familiar with. You shall have another God before me. You shall make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false testimony. You shall not covet. All of those, which are so hard to remember are summed up in love God with everything and love people in light of your love for God. It's all summed up. It's summed up. In fact, Christ says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, 
all of the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Love God with everything you have and love people in light of your love for God. Violation of the first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Violation of that commandment is sin against God. Violation of the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor like yourself as yourself, is violation of God's command and sin against man. When we do not love our neighbor, we sin against them. This is going to get really fun. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Remember that original sin broke our relationship with God. Immediately, man and God were not the same as soon as man ate the fruit. Genesis chapter 2, or chapter, yeah, chapter 2. As soon as man and a woman in the garden ate the fruit, their relationship with God was altered and changed immediately. And so was man's relationship to one another. And so was man's relationship to one another. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, you'll remember, God created all things in six days, and he stepped back and looked and said, Behold, it is very good without the stain of sin. Adam and Eve ate the fruit and violated the commandment that God had given them. You can eat of anything in the garden, but don't eat of that. Listen, God's commands are serious. I don't think we dwell on the commandments of God very, very much or very well. God's commands are very serious. We are to obey what God says to do, and we are not to do what God says not to do. He tells them, don't eat of the fruit, and the day that you do, you shall die. They were created good. They were created without the stain of sin, able to sin. The temptation is there for them. They gave in to that, and they sinned. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read these words. And the man and his wife, prior to eating the fruit, were both naked and were not ashamed. Moving down, as soon as they eat the fruit, Genesis 3, 1 through 6, we read of the temptation. It dwells within Eve. She sees what she is not to do. She sees the fruit that she was told not to eat, but she gazes at it. She desires it. She takes it. She gives it to her husband. The Bible makes no mistake to say who was with her. He eats it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. Who told you you were naked, Adam? Have you eaten of the fruit? Why? Because what God said would happen is precisely what happened to Adam and Eve. They were living in innocence, and then it was broken, and they knew it. So we have the fall of man, man's relationship to man. Adam and Eve in the garden realizing with one another something is now wrong. We have stepped out of the innocence. I don't want to say perfection. And I don't want to say perfection for a reason. Because in our culture, we think that whatever's awaiting us through hope in Christ is perfection. And what is awaiting us is not what Adam and Eve were created in. So I want to draw that line. 
We're not awaiting for perfection like they knew. We're awaiting something better. Okay? They're created in innocence and immediately uh, get some fig leaves and let's cover, let's, we got to cover each other up. we got to get covered up. They, their relationship is broken. There's a problem immediately with them. Move on down to Genesis chapter 4. The second man. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So first Adam, then his son Cain, then his son Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and their relationship is immediately altered because of sin. They have two sons whose relationship is immediately altered because of sin. Now you have first man, first woman, husband and wife, and their two sons, and the whole thing is altered. Because one son killed the other son. And now you have grieving parents and a surviving son and one in the ground. All within the first four people in history. Move to Genesis chapter 6. I'll spare you. I've done the work. I have them circled. From Adam to Noah is nine generations. Nine of them. Adam to Noah. Nine generations, and look what happens in Genesis chapter 6, the fifth verse. The Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Living without reference to God, and living without care for one another. You know what happens? The ark, the flood, all of that. God spares Noah, his wife, their sons, their three wives. Peter recalls this in the New Testament, in which eight persons in all were saved. They come out of the ark, they're on the ground, and as soon as they're out of the ark, God says, I will never again destroy the earth by flood, seeing that the intent of man's heart is only evil continually. Man, we're a wreck. We're just an absolute, this is our lineage. We come from these folks. And we're just as messed up as them. We sin against man. It continues to this day. We violate God's commandment and we sin against one another. Somebody's asking, how do we sin against people? How do we sin against one another? By failing to love one another as yourself. I don't, I don't sin, I don't, I would never kill my brother. Do you, but do you love your brother the way that God tells you to? Or do you have no regard for your brother? 
How do we sin against people? By failing to love them in light of God as ourself. Well, I don't know. I don't do wrong to people, though. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nice to people. Did you pay attention to what I said last week? Because it's really important this week. Sin's not just the wrong you do. Sin is the right thing that you do not do. And this is a problem for us. It's easy to not do the wrong thing. I cannot do the wrong thing all day long. Great. Are you doing the right thing? Pastor, I kind of think you're going off in the weeds a little bit. Like, is it biblical to say that sin is not just the wrong thing done, but the right thing undone? Yeah. James, the fourth chapter, the 15th verse. He who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, sins. Ouch. So now, happy Sunday, everyone. Now, it's not just not doing wrong to your neighbor, it's doing right to them. It's doing right for them. It's having regard for other people. I'm not going to do the wrong thing, and I'm going to do the right thing. Oh, well, how do we know when we sin against people? Because, like, how do I know if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm doing the wrong thing or if I'm not doing the right thing? How do we know when we sin against people? Well, one, God wrote a book. And when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the truth of God's word, you come to understand that you have violated God's command because you have violated his command to love one another, that is when you realize you have sinned. According to God's word, the Holy Spirit convicts us to understand that we have sinned. Something is wrong, and it needs to be fixed. Before we talk about fixing it, I want to establish this. We cannot deal with forgiveness for and from man according to the world's pattern. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, which I will not do, there is a good reality that the vast majority of us in the room are practicing forgiveness according to the pattern of the world. And I'm about to gently slap all of you, because we must not do this. The Bible literally says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. We cannot forgive like the world forgives. We must unlearn worldly forgiveness. It requires faith in Jesus Christ. It requires the Holy Spirit within us. It requires that we actually open and read our Bible. Well, how does the world forgive? Well, you ready? I thought of these two phrases. I've dealt with them. I can't tell you how many times in 10 years of pastoral ministry. Ready for number one? I'll forgive them when I'm good and ready. I'm waiting while that settles into you. Because I've said it. And so I'm sure you have. I'll forgive them when I'm good and ready. Or, oof. Well, I'll forgive them, but don't you expect me to like them. Where'd you learn that, Christian? I'm talking to the redeemed in the room. Those with faith in Christ. Those who would stand up and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, his return for the saints, and one day hope and glory with him. Amen. I'm talking to you. Where did you learn that from? I'll forgive when I'm good and ready. I'll forgive, but don't expect me to like them. This is not God's pattern of forgiveness for you, his people. This is the world. It has infiltrated the church, and we must purge the world from the church. 
We are a new creation. We are not to look like the world. We are to have nothing to do with the world. The pattern of God's forgiveness, as we established in Ephesians chapter 4, the 32nd verse, is to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. That's God's pattern of forgiveness. This is why original sin must be dealt with. First, we must be set free from sin that we may be free to forgive when people sin against us. The world has concepts of this, but again, they're operating only on morality. There's no conviction. They're not doing it in light of God. We do it under conviction. The Holy Spirit impresses upon you. What's wrong with you right now? And you feel that Holy Spirit finger in your side as you're like, I'll forgive him when I'm good and ready. And the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone. Why? Because there's a difference between fallen man and redeemed man. We are to be different. Forgiveness for man when they sin against us is a mark of regeneration. Pastor, you say that word. What does that mean, regeneration? It means that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has made you new. Bible talks about being made alive, being reborn, being born again, being brought near. Regeneration is rebirthed by the power of the Spirit from a dead, lifeless, powerless, sinful life made new to a life in Jesus Christ by the power of God. Forgiveness for man when they sin against us is a model of Jesus Christ and a model of the gospel, which we proclaim as Christians. So when we forgive when we're good and ready, or forgive and, well, I'm not going to like them, we are not demonstrating the love of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus. We're showing the world a reflection in the mirror. And we're not to look like that. The world says, Someone sins against you, right? We probably can all imagine this, can't we? Anybody in the room? How, let's ask this question. Can anybody in the room not understand what it means when someone sins against you? I didn't think so. I thought of maybe some of the younger kids in the room, but we understand when somebody does something wrong to us. You tell a lie, you steal a cookie, you push, you take, you act contrary. Someone sins against you. What does the world say when that happens? The world says, get your revenge, right? Take my cookie, I'm taking your pizza. Talk about revenge, power up. Take your whole tray of food while I push you to the ground. Get your revenge. Somebody does something wrong to you, get your revenge, the world says. You know what God says? Leave room for my vengeance, I will repay. What do you mean I'm supposed to like not retaliate? Well, that's the example Christ gave us who when they hurled insult upon insult and hit and smacked and pulled his skin apart and nailed him to the cross, did not retaliate. I'm supposed to just like let people sin against me and let it go? We'll deal with that in a second. world says, get your revenge. God says, no, 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 leave room for my vengeance. Remember last year, we studied through Ecclesiastes. Remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes? God will not let the wicked go unpunished. God will exact his revenge on those who violate his command. The world says, do unto others what they do to you. Doesn't it, too? You know, if somebody does something, you just do it back. Somebody keys your car, knife their tire. Somebody steals from you, steal from them. Somebody punches you, punch them. Like the world just retaliates. One for one. You do this, I do that. And we see this on a grand scale, right? One country like blows up one thing in one place, and so another country retaliates and blows up a couple other things in a couple other places. 
We see it on a grand stage. The world stage is showing us the depravity of mankind. Do to others what they do to you. You know what God says? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do to others what you do to you. Pastor, did you say the golden rule? Kind of. I said it a little more simply so we can actually understand the gravity of it. Golden rule from young ages, for many who grew up in church, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Got it. No, do to others what you would do to you. Are you going to slash your tires? Are you going to key your car? Are you going to take from yourself? Are you going to steal? Are you going to do that? Jesus talks about a principle, what you, what you sow, you reap. Do to others what you would do to you. Love others as yourself. If you'd find your way to the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, Matthew chapter 5. We must unlearn the world's pattern of forgiveness. It's faulty. It's not God's pattern. What I'm hoping that we will come to understand through this short series is a biblical perspective. I'm hoping that we will grasp biblical doctrine in the realm of forgiveness. We must understand biblical forgiveness. So we must learn to forgive according to Christ's teaching. This is a high-level view that we're going to look at right now. I hope that it vaults you into a deeper look this week into biblical, scriptural forgiveness. We're going to look at three or four quick points on forgiving according to Christ's teaching. Matthew chapter 5. Let's deal first with someone sinning against us. Because that's what we typically like to think about most. We don't probably spend much time thinking about sinning against other people. But we spend a lot of time thinking about people sinning against us. Us. Why? Because we're selfish. How dare you sin against me? Look what you did to me. I can't believe you would sin against me without thinking, I wonder what I've done to other people. We'll get to that in a second. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, we're studying through it on Wednesday nights. So it'd be great to, for you to come out and get these deeper looks, a little deeper each week. Uh, dealt with this one a couple of weeks ago, five, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 through 28. And he's addressing, look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Well, who said that? God on Sinai to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not murder. Isn't it fascinating that a world of unbelievers knows that you shouldn't murder? Isn't it fascinating that kind of wherever you go, people just kind of intuitively know you shouldn't kill people. How's that happen? Because God gave his law to man. That's how. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. He goes on and describes how we violate the letter of the law by violating the spirit of the law. He deals with what you think, what you are, are, are doing. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, whoever says, you fool. Well, that's not murder, but here it is in a couple of verses tied right to it. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, pause. Why would our brother have something against us? Why would someone have something against us? We've sinned against them. If not, then they've made it up, and we'll deal with what do you do if someone sins against me? We'll deal with that, but right now we're talking about I have sinned against someone. You realize that your brother has something against you. I've done something. I have broke the peace. 
between this, in this relationship, whatever it may be. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You got to unpack this just a tiny little bit. If you are offering your gift at the altar, when Christ is teaching this, they're still leading rams and lambs and goats and bulls in to be sacrificed at an altar, right? And so if you're in line and you've got, and you're trying to stay over here until the guy kills you, and you're pulling it, I have sinned against my neighbor. Let it run away and go. Like this is a serious point. When Christ is teaching this and he's telling them, just leave the gift and go. This would have been repulsive to the Jews. Like, no, 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 no. We got to offer that sacrifice because we're not good unless we offer that sacrifice. That sacrifice is what cleans us with God. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave it. Go quickly and first be reconciled to your brother. Do you know why? Does anybody show of hands? Does anybody have any idea why God would say, leave your gift and go be reconciled? It's because God has a desire for a broken and contrite heart, not offerings that are utterly meaningless when the heart is a wreck. Leave it. Go in your brokenness, in your contrition, in your understanding, I have violated my relationship with my brother, go as quickly as possible and extend, seek forgiveness. This is the beginning of the process of reconciliation. You will note as we go along that I am talking about forgiveness and I'm not even addressing the depths of being reconciled, but forgiveness is the beginning of that process. Your brother, realize you have a problem with your brother. You have sinned against your brother. Don't continue serving in church, teaching Sunday school, leading music, setting up chairs, opening doors, teaching Wednesday nights, coming and praying out loud. Those are utterly meaningless when we have sin that's not being dealt with. And do you remember last week what we learned? When you don't deal with sin, God's judgment is coming upon you. Listen, I love Every single person in this room, whether I know you deeply or not, I love you. If you're serving here right now and you have sin in your life because you need to reconcile with someone, don't ever serve again until you deal with that sin because you are standing in line with your gift at the altar waiting to present something to God and you are wrong with God. There is an offense before God from you and you need to leave your gift and go be reconciled. And every single one of us has to look inside and answer, have we done that? Are we doing that? We are to be pure and holy as God is holy. Leave your gift at the altar, go quickly, be reconciled, look, and then come. Because God does not delight in the blood of bulls, in the blood of goats, or your singing, or your reading, or your hand shaking. He desires a broken and contrite spirit a heart that is right. If someone has, if you have sinned against someone, it is your responsibility to go to that person as quickly as possible, seeking forgiveness and hopefully, hopefully beginning the process of reconciliation. 
well, what if somebody sins against me? Because we're so selfish that we just think it's all about if someone sins against me. But it can happen, right? What if somebody sins against me? First, make sure you've got this point. If you have sinned, go and rectify that with the person whom you have sinned against. Second, well, who has sinned against you? Is the person who sinned against you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or absolutely nowhere near the Lord Jesus Christ? Not saved. We've got to start looking at different segments of humanity here when we start answering this question, because unlike forgiving people when we're seeking forgiveness, when we sin against people, we go to those whom we have sinned against and we seek forgiveness. When someone sins against us, we have a bit of a different protocol to follow depending on that person. Well, pastor, what if it's an unbeliever? Listen, my brother-in-law doesn't know Jesus and he has sinned against me. What do I do? My neighbor has no idea who Jesus is. First of all, what an indictment on your gospel testimony. Ouch. My neighbor has no idea who Jesus is and let me tell you how much that guy sinned against me. Tell me. Tell me how much your sinful neighbor has sinned against you. Tell me, tell me how much the sinful lost co-worker has sinned against you. Tell me how much a sinner has sinned against you that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I just am curious if you can stack those sins up higher than how much we have sinned against Christ. What's my example? What if an unbeliever sins against me? What do I do? Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Remember where you were? This man, the Bible is so important. Romans chapter 5 says that at the right moment, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what that means? Forgiveness was wrapped up in the cross for people who had violated God's command and had come nowhere near saying, God, forgive me. So if an unbeliever sins against me, pastor, I just want to be clear. Are you telling me that if someone who doesn't profess faith in Jesus Christ sins against me, that I should just forgive them? Well, I'm not. God is. Yes, forgive them. Why? Because your forgiveness to an unbeliever is a gospel testimony. Your forgiveness of someone who has done wrong to you when they are not deserving of your forgiveness is a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel itself. Well, what if, you, what if they won't accept forgiveness? What, what, if, what if I, you know, I, I go to them, we're dealing like, hey, I just want to forgive you for this. What if they won't accept it? When you can point out to me, biblically, where we're supposed to worry about what the other person does when we deal with forgiveness, I'll teach on it. The Bible says forgive. Go and forgive. Well, what if they don't want to hear it? They don't want to Listen, listen, pastor guy. My brother-in-law doesn't want to hear it. Could you, I just, I, show me where we're supposed to be concerned with how the other party receives it. That's between them and God. And your withholding of forgiveness is not a pattern you learned from God. God, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I, I don't want to hear it. You violated my command. I don't want to hear it. That's not the pattern we receive from God. God doesn't pattern that for us. That's not the mercy that we received from him. If the other party won't accept forgiveness, how do you know that your extension of forgiveness is not the gospel witness and testimony that God is going to use to save that person who sinned against you, that in order 
that they may not be an enemy any longer, but a friend. But if an unbeliever sins against you, our pattern is to forgive. Just forgive them. Keep love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love keeps no record of wrong. Now, what I'm not going to tell you is just forget about it. I didn't say that. You didn't hear me say that. I said forgive them. Our memory is not able to just forget about it. Humans are not wired to just forget about it. We remember the sin and the violation against us. What you do with that memory is in your charge. I remember the sins committed against me. I remember sins committed against other people by me. You know what we do with those? We praise God for his mercy and grace. That's what we do with those. Well, okay, pastor, so a sinner, an unbeliever, because we're all sinners, an unbeliever, someone who does not profess faith in Christ sins against me, I just, I just need to forgive them and move on with loving God and loving them. Yes. Okay, well, pastor, what if it's somebody in this room? What if it's, what if it's a Christian? Someone to go to church with or someone in another church or someone who knows where that's a Christian. Matthew chapter 18. It becomes a different game when it's a Christian to a Christian. First of all, Christians sinning against one another is a real big problem. Like, I hate to sound trite when I say that. It's a big problem when Christians sin against Christians. We're violating every semblance and resemblance of God and the gospel. Man, aren't there churches out there right now full of people sinning against one another? Oh, Lord, help them. Help us. Matthew chapter 18, what about when somebody sins against me and they're a believer? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Pause. Pastor, Jesus said if your brother has something against you back in Matthew chapter 5, why are you equating that to me sinning against my brother, but now you're saying that this is having to do with the church because context is important? And when we follow down in, in chapter 18, verse 15 and on, we will all of a sudden find there is a process in dealing with forgiveness with a believer, and it comes to if the person that you're seeking to solve and resolve things with isn't going to listen, tell it to the church. I don't do that with an unbeliever. I don't tell an unbeliever's sin to the church. They're outside of the family, so to speak. If the sin is within the church, I am to go to my brother. I am to go to my brother. I want you to see something interesting here. When you are offering your altar, or when you're offering your gift to the altar, and you realize your brother has something against you, go to them and fix it quickly. Look at this. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Did you catch that? Whether you're the offender or the offended, go. Go quickly to the problem. Go to the source of contention and seek to solve it quickly. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Listen, brother, sister, so-and-sos, groups, whatever it is, this exists and we've got to deal with it. Look what he says. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, praise God. That means if he listens to you, that's the beginning of reconciliation. You have gained your brother. Unlike the unbeliever, if a believer won't listen, there is a further process. 
With the unbeliever, we deal with forgiveness and we walk away. Hey, I just, I want to make this right. Bah! Okay. May the grace of God spare you and save your soul, I pray. And we're done. You go to a believer, I need to, de- we've got to deal with this. There's a problem. We've got to solve this. It's, 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 you've sinned against me and I need to tell you that. Big deal. Okay? Not what I was hoping for. How often is it all too expected, though? Hmm. Not what I was hoping for. So, okay. Hey, just want to talk to you again. I brought, I brought a couple witnesses with me because the Bible says the evidence of all things should be established on the matter of two witnesses. So you bring a couple people with you who are neutral, right? That's hard to do in today's day and age. Everybody's on a side somewhere, so finding somebody who's actually neutral is really difficult to do. But you come and say, listen, I brought a couple friends so that we can say, I'm sorry. We got to deal in forgiveness. Big deal. I don't really care about your, like we can, we already understand where it's going if we're meeting with that. Sometimes it, sometimes it's a, we got to work through this. Okay, this is going to take something, but we can, brother, I can move. I can begin working on this. We can, we can talk through and work. Okay, good. Eh. It says, if he will not listen, if he refuses to listen, then it goes to the church. Well, this becomes a bit tricky. If it's here, that means here. Pastor, what if, what if somebody from another church sins against me? Well, you've got the process. Go and tell them the fault. Listen, we've got to talk about this. They don't want to listen. Then get some witnesses. Like, probably the pastor of his church. What a witness. Maybe a leader in their church. I don't know. Get witnesses. I have no idea what to tell you on that. The Bible doesn't say who you're supposed to get. It says get witnesses. Get them. Hey, we've got to deal with this. We've got to fix. There's a problem here. No, I don't want to listen. Then, then what is my responsibility, pastor, if this is somebody in some other church? This is only my recommendation that the Bible does not give. And I had to think through this a long time. Do you know why? Because Christians sin against Christians and we shipwreck our faith and our testimony over it. So what do I do? If somebody sins against me from another church, my recommendation, based on all of my reading, this is, again, purely me, we probably should sift through Scripture to know, is there a better answer? Bring it up to the pastor of their church and walk away. You've done all you can do. This person is here this, this situation is unresolved between us. I have these witnesses that have verified it. I am leaving this now for you to deal with, and I am going to step away. I think that's all we can do. If it's here in this church, oh, man, I pray we never have to do it, but the reason it's in the Bible is because we might have to. If it's here in this church, and you get all the way to telling it to the church that someone is not being reconciled due to an offense, we have no other thing to believe but that this soul needs to be turned over to the Lord. Your profession of faith is showing itself to not be true. Why? Why? Because forgiveness is a mark of those saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that relationships are simple and awesome again, but you have the ability to say, brother, sister, I forgive. We can can live, like the Bible says, at peace with one another. Because we can forgive. I pray it never gets to that, but Jesus himself says, tell it to the church, and if he will not live again, turn him out and treat him as a tax collector. Well, that's great, Pastor. You know what? I can't go to that person. They're dead. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've been told this. They're dead and gone. I can't deal with forgiveness with that person. They moved. I, I have... I have no way to reach them. I don't know where they live anymore. I, like, this was a long time ago. I know it exists, and I know I've got to deal with it, but I have no idea. What, what, do, I, what do I do? How do I do this? 
I see the word of God calling me to deal in forgiveness, but I don't know what or how to do. That is something that is covered by the grace of God when you deal with forgiveness from God because of ongoing sin. If you truly and, and legitimately to the end of your best efforts, you cannot deal in reconciliation and forgiveness with someone who's sinned against you or you've sinned against. You cannot get there. That is something that is covered by the grace of God when you deal with forgiveness from God for ongoing sin. Well, okay, pastor, you've definitely given plenty of evidence at this point that shows me that forgiveness according to Christ is not like forgiveness in the world and maybe it's not like forgiveness that you've actually been practicing. How often am I supposed to forgive? We'll probably be here a little bit more when we deal with confession and repentance in the coming weeks. But Matthew chapter 18, down in verse 21. Peter came up to the Lord and said to him, Lord, how often, <laughs> how often will my brother sin against me? Oh, if I could tell you, whew, over and over probably. How often if my brother will sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You see the thinking? Like, Peter is like, there's a genuine, like, when I read this, I read a genuine question. But there's also a genuine thought that I think Peter reveals here as demonstrated in our forgiveness wears out. And I'm just like, do I just stop after seven times and like, dude, we bet this is number seven, you're out. We've been here, I've done, this is seven, I'm not forgiving you. The next time you come back, no. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You know what Christ is demonstrating? You, Christian, forgive your brother when they sin against you. Why? Well, our pattern of forgiveness is from God. And I've never known a person who couldn't go to God and say, forgive me a sinner. That's our pattern. How often will I forgive my brother when they sin against me? Every time. Every time? Every time. No, 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 not every time. There's got to be a limit at some point in time, right? I, find one for me. Seventy-seven times. You figure out the math. Perpetual. We, as born-again Christians following Christ through faith, the Spirit of God living in us, we forgive People, when they sin against us. The frequency of our forgiveness is a model from a verse in Lamentations. When we forgive when people sin against us, we are modeling the steadfast love of the Lord. Never ceasing. We are modeling God's mercies, new every morning, never ending. We are demonstrating the great faithfulness of God. Our forgiveness to those who sin against us is a one-to-one -one demonstration of God's mercy and grace. Every time someone sins, you forgive. You are over and over repeatedly demonstrating. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got someone in your life that is sinning against you, that they're coming and saying, I'm really sorry, and you're forgiving them, I'm telling you right now, the Spirit of God is doing a great work in that relationship. It's either in you, or it's either in them, or it's in both of you, but when that's going on, you are like, I forgive you because I am forgiven. I, I, just, I just forgive you for this. 
when you don't forgive, then how tempted are we to not forgive? Not going to do it. <laughs> nope. Not after what they did. You don't understand. This person that we're talking about is the worst person on the face of planet Earth. No. I'm not forgiving them. Man, I've dealt with marital divorce situations where it is a cesspool of sin. No way. When you do not forgive, you are withholding mercy and grace that was not withheld from you. And that is a problem between you and God. Lack of forgiveness is revealing a deeper, a much deeper heart issue. Forgiveness marks the forgiven. Someone sins against you, forgive them. You sin against someone, go and seek forgiveness. Next week, we're going to look at what does biblical confession of sin actually look like? Is it just, I'm so sorry, okay, and move on with life? No, we've got a lot to learn about confessing our sin for today. The ability to forgive others when they sin against us, no matter how grievous, man, the wounds we carry. If we could open up the lives of people in this room, we would start getting down to such deep, dark hurt. When people sin against us, it cuts us deeply. No matter how grievous the sin may be, the ability to forgive other people only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. The first stop in forgiving man is at the cross of Christ. Are you reconciled to God? It's the first place. It's literally the gospel. God, forgive me. I'm living in violation of your command. Christ, you died for me. You have saved me. You have set me in a new path, a new life, and I am in violation of that. God, forgive me. Being able to forgive others comes when we are forgiven by God. We must recognize sin against man is sin against God. God commands us to love one another as ourself. People bear God's image, and he would have us forgive them. Are you exercising forgiveness? To whom do you need to go and seek forgiveness from? To whom do you need to go and extend forgiveness? I, I promise people in this room have one, if not both of those to do. And when should I do it? Probably as soon as you leave this place. We have forgiveness to deal with, and we must do so. We must first be reconciled to God. I want to pray with you today, recognizing that perhaps the road that needs to happen in this room is reconciliation to God first. Have you confessed your sin to a holy God? Are you saved? Do you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? God, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus died for our sin and rose on the third day. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday. The whole world is going to celebrate Easter. And what is it all about? Christ's resurrection. What did he die for? Our sin. That we might deal in forgiveness with other people. Are you saved? Do you believe that Christ is the risen Son of God, dead for your sins, alive again, 
returning for his own to take you to glory for eternity. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are here gathered. And I pray as your spirit is working in our hearts, as we unlearn the rottenness of humanity and attempt to align ourselves biblically with your truth, oh, Father, help us. I pray, Father, for those in the room who may not have yet been reconciled to you because of original sin. Forgive them, Father. I'm so thankful that when we come to you, we find forgiveness, and not because we have earned it, but because Christ made it possible. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for sin. Thank you for taking on your body, on the tree, our sin and suffering, the consequence that we deserved, that we might, through faith in you, be saved and extend forgiveness to those who sin against us. Father, I pray for great strength. Dealing in forgiveness biblically is very difficult. And for those who need to go and extend forgiveness and those who need to go and seek forgiveness, oh, Father, strengthen us by the power of your Spirit to be set free from this bond of sin. I pray, Father, that we will begin biblically handling forgiveness, that biblical reconciliation could happen. Father, help us in coming weeks as we learn what it is to confess our sin, what it is to repent. Thank you, God, for your word teaching us that we are in need of forgiveness from you and we are in need of forgiving man when they sin against us and forgiveness from man when we sin against them. Father, as we sing your praise and then we go, be with us. Our days are numbered, and we do not know when they will be up, but we know that they will be. And we know that when they are, all of us will stand before you and give an account. Father, be with us through the rest of this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.